0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Our salvation is great because of the greatness of our deliverance. What have we been delivered from? Well, we've been delivered, first of all, from sin. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Ultimately, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. What's so great about that? Well, sin is the thing that destroys our lives.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 3, in a message titled, So Great a Salvation. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we're going
1: to pick up once again in Hebrews this morning, the second chapter, we're making our way through Hebrews. As most of you know, we we finished the second chapter, but before we go into chapter three, I want to go back, and there's a couple of passages that I want to just sort of camp there for a bit. Uh, we'll, you know, we, we, we talked about these things already, but I think, you know, some things just deserve a little bit more attention, and so rather than just rushing into the third chapter, I wanted to go back and look at... Um, what the, what the author said in the third verse where he refers to our salvation as so great a salvation. And, you know, I really believe that this is true. If we understand just how magnificent this is the word I will choose. If we understand how magnificent our salvation is, if we understand the grandness of it and the greatness of it, that in and of itself, it goes so far into helping us really become the people that God wants us to be. Because when we understand the glory of it and the greatness of it and we're caught up with it and we're consumed by it, it shapes our whole lives. And so what I want to do today is look at just the subject of the greatness of our salvation and and just looking at it from the perspective of this, really is the greatest thing ever. If you were to go around the world today and if you were to poll people as to, you know, what is the greatest thing ever to you, in your, in your opinion, what, what is the greatest thing ever? Well, I think depending on where you were at and what the circumstances were that you were, you know, living under, there would be a variety of answers. Uh, if you're in the Middle East, if you're around that region where ISIS is coming in and destroying towns and villages and lives and so forth, I think, you know, people would probably say, well, the greatest thing ever would be peace and safety. And you could certainly understand why they would say that. For some people, if you ask the question, they would say, well, the greatest thing ever would be uh, reconciliation in a relationship, maybe a marriage that's uh, broken up or a family that's fallen apart. So to them, the greatest thing ever would be if, if all of this could be put back together, if it could all be restored. And then for others, some might say, well, you know, the greatest thing ever would be an unlimited supply of money. If I just had more money, it would be great. That would be the greatest thing ever. Uh, for others, it would be something even more shallow, like, well, if I could just be more successful or if I could just be more famous or something. So like I'm saying, there, there would be a variety of answers depending on who you were asking. But the reality is this. As, good as some of those things might be, or as great even as they might be at the present moment for some people under some circumstances, none of them would qualify as the greatest thing ever. But I'll tell you what the greatest thing ever is. The greatest thing ever is salvation. And it's the greatest thing ever. There's nothing that can even compare to it. And that's what I want to show you today. But I want you to notice the way the author here refers to our salvation he refers to it not simply as great, but he refers to it as so great a salvation. Now, that reminds me of how Jesus referred to God's love for us in John 3, 16. You remember Jesus said, for God, he doesn't simply say, for God loved the world, but what does he say? He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in adding just that little word so, what he's really telling us is that love, the word itself, is inadequate. God loves the world more than the word love can express. So likewise, when we look at salvation, the author says our salvation is beyond great. It's greater than the word great can even communicate. And so, like I said, if we can get a hold of this, so many of our struggles, so many of... Of our battles, so many of our problems, so much of our depression and our frustration and all of that, you know, it'll just it'll just sort of disappear over time as we as we are taken up with this great, beyond great, better than great can ever describe salvation. And so that's what we're gonna look at. So great a salvation. Why is our salvation so great, according to the author here? Well, there are five reasons. Number one, because of the greatness of our Savior. Number two, because of the greatness of our deliverance. Number three, the greatness of our calling. Number four, the greatness of our destiny. And number five, the greatness of the cost. And so let's look at all five of those. And for the first one, the greatness of our Savior, I'm going to go rather quickly over this because we already focused on these things in a previous message. So I don't want to you know, just get bogged down going over the same stuff, but, but I do want to touch on it again because it's obviously very important. And of course, it concerns our Savior. So number one, our, our salvation is so great because our Savior is so great. How great is our Savior? Well, We saw back there in verses 1 through 3 that he is, first of all, the heir of all things. Everything belongs to him. That's how great he is. Jesus owns everything, all that there is. There's nothing that is that doesn't uh, belong to him. The Father has bequeathed everything to him. He is the Father's heir. So he is the heir of all things. We also uh, understood that he is the creator of all things. It states it here, we consider that. Many passages tell us that very thing. Jesus is the creator. All that there is, every single thing that was made was made by him, and there was not a single thing made that was made apart from him. So our salvation is great. Our savior is great. He's the creator, He's the heir, he's the creator. We saw there that he's the sustainer of all things. You remember maybe we talked about how it's it's not just these natural laws that keep everything going as they go, that that keep us functioning as we function, that that finally tune the universe for our not, not just our existence, but our flourishing. It's all like that because he sustains it currently. This moment, he is the sustaining power behind all of these things. And then we saw also that he is the radiance of God's glory. He is, the, he is the express image of his person. Our salvation is great because our Savior is great. And because our Savior is great, of course, the salvation that he brings us would, would be equally great. But then secondly... Our salvation is great because of the greatness of our deliverance. What what have we been delivered from? Well, we've been delivered, first of all, from sin. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Ultimately, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. What's so great about that? Well, sin is the destructive force in the universe. Sin is the thing that destroys our lives. Sin is the thing that brings us into bondage and into captivity and causes all of the pain and the suffering and the misery and and all of those things that we experience in the world that are negative things are all rooted back in sin. Our salvation is great because our Savior has dealt with our sin. He has delivered us from sin. So I'm no longer going to have to pay uh, the penalty for my sin. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin, and I can look forward to the day when I will be completely liberated from the presence of sin. So he's dealt with sin, but there's a force that works behind sin, and it's not just a force, it's actually a person. And we've been delivered from the power and the authority of this evil person. This person is Satan, this evil spirit that afflicts humanity, that controls people's lives, that works through sin and comes in and, and does that destructive thing in a person's heart and mind and eventually out into their life and then beyond them. But the power of Satan has been broken. And so we're no longer under his dominion We've been delivered from that. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, and we've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Jesus said to Paul when he commissioned him to go to preach the gospel, he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. You know, when we look around the world today and we see some of the things that we're seeing, we see the destruction, we see the suffering, we see the agony, the pain, we see the murder, the rape, the torture, all of these things. You know, Satan is behind that. This is what he does. And, you know, as far back as you want to look in history, when you see the atrocities that have been committed throughout the ages under whatever regime, you can always find the devil's fingerprints there. That, that's who he is. That's what he does. those are his trademark activities. We, because of this salvation, we have been delivered from Satan. We've been delivered from his power. And then we've been delivered ultimately from hell. We've been delivered from that judgment. We've been liberated from having to pay the penalty for our sin because the wages of sin is death. And the death there that's ultimately being spoken of is separation from God. And what hell is, is it's eternal conscious separation from God. Sometimes we use the terms eternal conscious torment. Some people hate that. Oh, no, you can't say that. That that just sounds so horrible, and God would never torment somebody eternally. Well, the torment is the separation from God. The living eternally with the knowledge that you could have been saved, you should have been saved, but you made a choice not to be saved. And so you live with that. That's the, I think, part of the conscious torment that will take place. But here's the great news. We've been delivered from that. We don't have to live with that fear. I mean, listen, you know, make no mistake about it. There is a hell and there are people that are going to be there. Lots of people, more people than we would ever like to think. You know, some say and, and have been saying for quite some time, religion is the opiate of the people. You know, just give people uh, some religion and it just kind of, you know, fuzzies their mind and they don't think about reality and so forth. But, you know, somebody more recently said, well, the fact of the matter is atheism is the opiate of the people because it puts people under this delusion that there's no future judgment that you can live any way you want, that you can do anything that you want, that you can hurt as many people as you want. You can just trample on anyone and everyone and you never have to pay for it. Nobody really believes that. When you think of a, a, of a monstrous person like a Hitler and you think, well, wow, you know, this guy's responsible for the death of almost a hundred million people. And at a certain point in time, he just puts a gun to his head, shoots himself and it's over. Does anybody really believe that it's over for Hitler, that that was it? I don't believe that. I don't think most people believe that. And then some people say, well, of course, you know, well, a Hitler, yeah, sure. You know, I, I guess maybe there is a little bit to that hell thing for people like Hitler. But what about the rest of us? We're all pretty good. Well, no, we're all sort of just little versions of Hitler. Our, our Reich is just smaller, you know, and, and we oppress people and we cause pain and suffering and and we're selfish and you know th- that's the reality of who we are but we've been saved from that we've been saved from that sin that causes that kind of thing we've been saved from the devil who had that grip upon our lives and so we've been saved ultimately from that judgment we are not going to hell we're going to heaven we have been forgiven and so that in and of itself is something sometimes to just really think about, to really ponder, to just sit and think, Lord, thank you. You know, sometimes I do this, I go back in my mind and remember, because we can forget these things. You know, you, you get so far beyond where you used to be, you can forget y- your own sinfulness. And sometimes it's good to just go back and remember, wow, I, I was really, really lost. I was really, really sinful and now I'm saved. And all of those sins I committed, I don't have to pay for them because Jesus paid for them. So our salvation is great because our deliverance is great. But our salvation is also great because our calling is great. We have this wonderful calling. God didn't just simply pardon our sins. He pardoned us, but then he invited us to come and be part, first of all, of his family. What are we called to? We're called to be the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Actually, the word there is the sons of God, but it it includes both men and women. But the word sons is intentionally used because in the ancient world, the son was the one who, especially the oldest son, the son was the one who inherited everything from the father. The son was the one who received the, the, the great, you know, the family blessing and all of that, the eldest son. And so God wants us to understand that becoming his children means becoming his sons in that privileged sense. So we're not just the children of God, but we are maybe better to understand it, we are the privileged children of God. We are the special children of God. So that's our calling. It starts there. It starts with having entered in now to this relationship with God. We have this beautiful relationship with him, this this parent-child relationship with him, and parent-child in the best possible sense. But we're also called saints. And the word saint... You could look at saint, you could even translate it maybe as a holy one. But but it's the idea is to be separated. So God has called us saints, meaning that He separated us from from sin, death, destruction, the world, all of those things. He separated us from that. But as wonderful it is to be as it is to be separated from these things, what we're separated to is even more wonderful because he separated us to himself. And we have become to God. A precious treasure. That's what the saints are. They're uh, the saints are God's precious treasure. David said in the Psalms that his his delight was in the saints of the earth. And that's the heart of God toward his people. They're saints. They're we are of great value to him. We are this precious treasure to him. We're his sons and daughters. We're saints. But we've also been called to be his servants. We are the servants of god and that is a position of great honor to be a servant jesus was known as the servant of the lord isaiah 42 behold my servant and of course we know in there it says behold my servant in whom my soul delights and god calls us to be his servants and he gives us the amazing privilege of serving him of working alongside of him of entering into this wonderful thing that he's doing of recreating the universe starting with individual human beings uh, transforming them and he uses us in that process to to work alongside with him we become his servants and then there's one more thing that we become we become his friends we become his friends you know there's one person in the Bible who stands out, who was known as the friend of God, you remember who that was? It was Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. Guess what? You're in that same category. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, no longer do I call you merely servants, but I call you friends. You're my friends. Because a servant doesn't really know what his master is doing, but I've told you everything. And so Jesus has invited all of us to a friendship with him, into a friendship. You know, you can be a child of somebody but not have a friendship with them. There there are obviously relationships where people are estranged from one another. Yes, that's my child. Or yes, that's my parent. We're biologically connected, but we have no relationship beyond that. Well, we've got the full package. We've got the relationship that's there because we've been born of the spirit of God, but we've also got that place of of friendship with him. Think about that. The friend of God. And as you think about Abraham's life, as maybe you go back and look in Genesis there, what do you see in this friendship between God and Abraham? You see fellowship. God appeared to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham. He promised to bless him, he provided for him, he gave him direction, he took care of him, all of those kinds of things. Those are all of the things that are implied in friendship, and we have that friendship. Our salvation is great because our calling is great, but then there's also our destiny. The difference between calling and destiny is calling has to do with the present destiny has to do with the future. So in the present, we are the children of God. We are his saints. We are his servants. We are his friends. But in the future, there's more to come. What do we have awaiting us in the future? What is our destiny? Our destiny is that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So as we saw there in the beginning, our Savior is great, He's great because he's the heir of all things. Guess what? We are heirs of God, just like Jesus is. We are actually joint heirs with Christ. So Christ owns everything. All that there is belongs to him. He has ultimate authority over everything. And you know what? He's invited us in to share that with him. That's what it means to be a joint heir with Christ. We share in all of his wealth. We share in all of his riches. Like Jesus prayed in John 17, oh, Father, I pray that those that you have given me, that they would be with me, that they would see my glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus is anxious for the time that we are there with him, sharing together in all of this great wealth that belongs to him. He wants to share it with us. Think about that. I mean, just think of the, you know, if the richest person materially in the world got in touch with you and said, you know what, I'm just looking for someone to share this with. You know, I, I've, got, I've got too much money. I, I'll never be able to spend this and I, I'm just looking for some people that I can bring in and, and make uh, fellow heirs with me of my, of my wealth, of my, you know, empire or whatever it is. You, would, you wouldn't believe it. You'd think, no, that, that, would, that wouldn't even be possible. Who would do that? Well, it probably is highly unlikely that anybody on earth would do that. But <laughs> Jesus, that's exactly. It's like, I, I want them to share in it with me. So we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. But then included in that is that we are going to reign with him. Our destiny is to reign with him. You know, think about History. Think about the, the monarchies that have existed throughout history. And, and many nations have lived under kings and queens, you know, the monarchical system. And history, for the most part, uh, is filled with oppressive rulers. Occasionally, you get a good king or queen here once in a while. But we all have uh, kind of the understanding of what it means to reign, what it means to be in that, that kind of a position. And even though today most monarchies in the world are, they're not functional in, in the sense that they're actually ruling the nation. They're more ornamental at this point. They used to be the ones who actually did rule, but now they've been replaced by parliamentary systems or something like that. But they're still there. And my point is, you know, we get it. When you think of royalty, you realize that that is privilege. Jesus says, we're going to reign with him.
0: For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Suffers by Dane Ortlund is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you,